Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Revelation, and as we do so, uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a faster pace as we go through it. Not that I'm going to try to speak faster, but we'll go through maybe closer to a chapter at a time. We spent some time looking at very uh, small sections in the book of chapters and chapters 2 and 3 because we looked at the individual churches. Um, but the challenge is, is to not go so slow you miss the big picture, but not go so fast you miss the details. And there's no way to exhaust God's Word in any, in any way. You could spend you know, Sunday in each verse if you really kind of follow the, the train throughout Scripture and, and what each word um, describes in terms of who God is or what He is doing. But we'll, uh, we'll try to do our best. This morning we're going to be um, looking at a transitional part in, the, in, in this book, and it's, this book is defined in a variety of different ways, and there are parts in the Bible where we don't have to guess what it means because the Bible tells us what it means, and other places we need to kind of put the puzzle together and try to see how they all, it all fits, and then other parts we can um, give our best attempt in terms of understanding uh, some of the details that he has not given us necessarily clear or undeniable um, clarity on uh, some of the, the nuances of the text. But God get, did give us this word so that we might understand it, and so we will understand it and, and then be humble about the parts of it that he wants us to, to um, kind of leave uh, to him. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. So some things are only uh, left for him. Um, but the question I want to ask this morning is, uh, what are we going to do in heaven? And I guess even before that is, do we want to go there? And if we want to go there, how are we going to get there? And we're going to be talking about that a little bit as well. But as we think about heaven, we need to realize that heaven is um, revealed to us out of God's Word. And the book of Revelation is about revealing, unveiling uh, truth to us. But we need to be careful that we realize that the unveiling needs to come from Him and not from others. Uh, I don't know if you know, in the last decade, the most... Um, a profitable book uh, within um, the Christian religious realm is a book on heaven. It sold 7 million copies, and, and the book is, uh, is a very familiar one to you because it was made into a movie, and it's Heaven is for Real. Uh, I think 7 million copies. And uh, the thing we have to realize is that, you know, a four year old boy telling us, you know, more than what the Bible says it should be. Uh, held in um, very tenuous hands, um, partly because of what he said he observed. For instance, he said that when he got there, he got a halo, and he got real wings, but the problem, those wings weren't big enough for him. Um, he also claimed that he sat on Jesus' lap, and he was revealed to him that Mary was standing next to Jesus on the right hand of the throne of God, and that he met the Holy Spirit, who, according to this little boy named Colton, he was kind of blue. Now, you know, if you like to read books like that for entertainment, that's fine, okay? But don't go to those books to teach you about heaven. And there's a lot of them like that. I, was, I came across an article that described a number of books. My Journey to Heaven, What I Saw and How It Changed My Life, A Flight to Heaven, A Plane Crash, A Lone Survivor, A Journey to Heaven and Back, A Heaven and Back, A Doctor's Extraordinary Account of Her Death, Heaven, Angels, and Life Again, a true story, um, and I guess you should put a doctor's there because it's a, a doctor always knows everything, right? 
Um, 90 Minutes in Heaven, A True Story of Death and Life by Don Piper, who I think is, has kind of a pastoral background. Nine Days in Heaven, 23 Minutes in Hell, one man's story about what he saw, heard, and felt, that place of torment. Whether it's by an adult or a four-year-old, this is not the source information for what's going to be in heaven. Um, another book that was written about the same time this book came out, in fact, it was actually six months before this book came out, was The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. And it was written by a little boy, um, or it was the experience was by a little boy named uh, Alex Malarkey. And his uh, dad, Kevin, who has a kind of a pastoral background as well, they decided to write his story. And it also was a bestseller. But just this, uh, this year, it came out very boldly that Alex said, what I was reported that I experienced, I did not experience. And in fact, this is his, his statement. He's now, he was six then, I think he's, um, I think he's 15 now. He's, he wrote this. Instead of the boy who came back from heaven, he, his, his self-described note to the public is the boy who did not come back from heaven. Please forgive the brevity, but because of my limitations, I have kept this short. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. He was in a car crash and had a severe, um, he, had, he had some paralysis that has lasted. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth, and anything written by man cannot be infallible or without error. And again, within that uh, book that he wrote, there were a variety of things he said. Uh, um, his reference was to the evil one having access to heaven, which seems to be applied in the book of Revelation. Is that he said, well, this is how, this is how I saw the devil. He had no ears. He had moldy teeth, you know, and he had ragged clothes. And, and some people say, well, you, why would a four-year-old or six-year-old make this up? They wouldn't lie. How many four-year-olds and six-year-olds do you know, okay? They got great imaginations, all right? And you don't grow out of that. Now, it, we're not to demonize them, but the, again, the, the, the phrase that I thought was so, so powerful in, in Alex's statement, and they, Tyndale now had to take off their books, you know, from their from selling them and their DVDs and all those kind of things because the person who said that happened said it did not happen. He said, the Bible is enough. And see, that, that's where we've finally got to get to that point, that this is the source of truth. And for those of us who are a little older, remember that um, particular book, um, oh, I forget what it's called, uh, you know, the, um, what was it called? I just lost it. Um, I'm getting old. Okay, is it, it, it was the idea of the... the um, this, it, it was kind of a new age movement, but it was the blinded by the light type of movement, you know, movement where they were talking that everything was light when they saw heaven. That those kind of things uh, are, are not to be the source material for you to understand what God is doing, has done, and will do in the future. And, and part of that you can just see in, and look at all the recorded history in the Bible. How many, how many people got to go to heaven and talk about it? Well, in the New Testament, there are, there are two people got to heaven, and there were in the Old Testament, there's a couple people, and then you had a couple that went up there and didn't say anything about it. You know, Enoch took a walk with God and just kept on walking, went up to heaven, didn't say a word about it. Okay, Elijah went up there, and bam, it was gone. Okay, 
But what we have in Isaiah, we have a picture of him, which is very similar to the one we're going to look at this morning. And you had Ezekiel, the same idea. He describes heaven the same way that John did. You had the Apostle Paul, who had quite a few credentials. He got up to heaven. He said he went up to the third heaven. And when he came back, he said it was so amazing. It's too inexpressible for words. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what what John got to experience and share with us a glimpse about. And, And this is what we ought to be focused on, what God has said. And the challenge for any of us who speak about the Bible is not to say less than what the Bible says, but also be very careful not to say what? More than what the Bible says. And whatever the Bible says for our understanding is enough. All right, so this morning we're in Revelation chapter 4. If you have that, just turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. And then I'm going to put a little bit of context to this. We've just spent a number of weeks in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. And in Revelation we have for us, described to us kind of the outline, not kind of, the outline of this book, which will help us in understanding uh, kind of the flow of what what God wants us to understand. And again, this book is about who um, is coming and what is coming. But in Revelation chapter 119, I think I have it in your outline this morning, under context and background, uh, John writes very plainly, therefore, the word he was told uh, by Jesus, therefore, write the things which you have seen, which would be the past, the things which are, which is the present, and the things which will take place, which is the future, after these things. So we got the past, we got the present, as he was experiencing, and then what was going to happen in the future. And in chapters 2 and 3, we spent considerable time that it was the messages to the churches, the seven churches uh, known in the book of Revelation in Asia Minor. And there were more than seven churches um, in the first century. So these seven churches were examples of other churches in the first century that were going through the same thing uh, that these churches were. Some were doing well and some were not doing well. And Jesus had a word to them, some words of commendation, some words of condemnation, and particularly words of correction. And that's what God has for us today. And so we are to live out God's plan for us as he teaches the churches in the first century and he teaches us as well. And that's, by the way, why we have... The book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, is that those are letters spoken to real churches that we might understand principles for today. And then there's there's a transition. He's he's talked about the revelation of who Jesus is in the first chapter. He talks about what is present in chapters 2 and 3. And then he goes in chapter 4 to the end and speaks about what is going to happen. Now, before we look at what he says in chapter 4, I want to tell you about what Jesus... Uh, through the Apostle Paul, already said about what would happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have these clear words uh, to the church of Thessalonica um, in, in what was to happen. And we know uh, this, is, this is something that's newly revealed that, that Jesus did not talk about in the Gospels in an abundant way. Probably in John chapter 14, I have it in your text, at least the, out, the, the, the passage, he talks about that when then he took off, he was going to come again and receive people to what? To himself, which kind of gives you a picture about what he told in detail to the church in Thessalonica, which is what's called the rapture passage. And I know as I teach on this, some of you are well-versed in some of these things, and some of you are going, oh, I've kind of heard of this kind of briefly, or maybe this is brand new, but it's in the Bible. 
Okay, and the reason we believe it is because it's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brethren. And he said that to them back then. He would say that back to us now. About those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So in context, he's saying, some of you are really struggling with this whole thing about death before Jesus returns. And if, if somehow you die before Jesus returns, are you going to miss it? You're not going to be involved in this whole uh, second coming of Jesus. And he says, I don't want you to think that way, like people who don't know anything about God, anything about Jesus. And, and so he goes on and says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. You go, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me figure this out. People have died, but they're not just in the grave. They're where? They're up in heaven. They'd have to be in heaven with Jesus because if he's going to bring them with him, then their real spirit, the real uh, reality of who they are, are already with him. So I don't have to grieve that somehow they're in some kind of a purgatory experience. They're alive with him now. And for this we say to you, that by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, physically alive, and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now let's be honest, even as religious people, sometimes we're envious of others, right? When anybody, anybody confess that sin? This is, this is church, you can confess the sin, right? You ever envious? We've got three honest people here in church. You can raise your hand in church. I will not, you're not volunteering to, to do the nursery this morning, all right? How many have ever been envious? Well, we've got a few more honest people. There are other people who are saying, I'm not, I'm not going to raise my hand no matter what the pastor says. All right. Okay. And, and so you're saying, wait a minute. You're, you're feeling bad for these people, that, and these people. Your loved ones that have already died, they're somehow going to miss um, what's coming next. And I want to let you, not only should you not be envious, they're going to come before you do. They're going to be experiencing it before you have because they're coming down. All right? they're not, you're not, you're not going to be caught up before them. They're, they're, uh, they're already involved in it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And then the commentary on this is, Therefore, comfort one another with these words, which means as you're kind of going through the grieving process of feeling bad about your loved ones have already died, you don't need to feel bad for them. You could actually feel envious for them because they're going to participate in this next act and they'll get on the, on the train before you do. All right? So be comforted about this. But what I want to emphasize in verse 17, it says, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him now if you have a concordance and an exhaustive concordance which basically a concordance is simply a, a book that lists the words that are in a bible particularly if you have an english bible they'll list every if you have an exhaustive one it will list every single word that's in the old testament and new testament and you're saying well if, the, if someone was preaching on the rapture and you want to read about it before you came to church okay, i'll look up the word rapture and read about it well you could look up the the word rapture and you wouldn't find it okay just like you're not going to find the word trinity in the bible but actually the word rapture is more in the bible than even the word trinity the bible teaches the trinity but the reason you don't have rapture in the bible is because 
it's not an English word. I mean, it's an English word. I mean, we have a word that says rapture, but it's not, it's not the word that was translated from the Greek word, which is the Greek word harpazo, uh, and wasn't translated in English Bibles rapture. It could have been, but it's translated caught up. And so you need to understand, if someone says, you, yeah, well, I don't believe in the rapture because it's not in the Bible, it's in the Bible, and if you had a Latin Bible, you would read it in the Latin Bible. It's the word caught up. So the issue is not whether you believe or not believe that the Bible teaches about a rapture is what does it mean by it. You can say that, but you can't say I don't believe in the rapture. The rapture is in the Bible. There's going to be a catching up, a rapture from those who are living at that time up into the clouds to be with the Lord, and there'll be a descending from the clouds with the Lord or from heaven to meet those together to join the people in Christ together. Now, the reason I went a little bit of a detail on that, and we'll talk more about the rapture as we go through the book of Revelation, though that's not the main theme, is that the Bible teaches clearly that there is going to be a catching up of those who are alive when Jesus comes for his church, and those who have gone on below will come with him, and there will be a reuniting in the, in, in the heavens, in the sky. That make sense? Okay, that's... that's you know, that's not interpreting it. That's just reading and observing what the text says. Correct? So, that was announced to the church. And it was probably taught to the church in those 40 days, in terms of clarity, when Jesus rose from the dead and spent 40 days teaching about the kingdom to the disciples. In fact, Acts chapter 1, after he taught all this, he said, well, is it going to happen now? And he says, don't worry about when it's going to happen. You just be my witnesses in the world. And, and start in Jerusalem and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the world. And that's our part of the program. Just keep doing God's will in our life, getting the message out. Let him worry about the timetable. Okay, let him figure out when it's going to happen. Because he said, I'm not going to let you know. He, didn't, he said that in Matthew 24, and he also said that in, in Acts chapter 1. It's not for you to know the times of when this is going to happen. What you need to do, and when I say you, I mean me, us, we need to be prepared for whenever he comes, right? I don't want to be caught surprised. I want to be anticipating his return. And when I'm anticipating his return, then I'm ready. Have you ever had someone who's going to come over to your house, you know, but they didn't have the exact time, right? Or I'm going to come over, uh, you know, sometime in the afternoon. Well, yeah, but when? Well, I'm not sure. Well, when do you clean the house, right? Before they get there, all right? So that whenever they get there, it's ready, right? We want the house clean so that we're ready. So with that as a backdrop, we have, we have John now kind of preparing people for what's happening next. He's talked about what, who is coming, and he's talked about how we ought to be living out our faith because of who is coming. Now he's going to talk a little bit about what is coming. And here... If you've read or heard messages, and I was talking to somebody right after the first service, and I'm trying to correct some of the things he's read, but anyway, you know, there's some bizarre stuff out there. Let's, let's just be honest, all right? Um, but there are some things we can get right from the text that we, we don't have to be confused about. And part of this, this is a long introduction, in Revelation chapter 4, we, we, we see what is, what is what God wants us to be prepared for as he comes for his people. Revelation chapter 4. And what it is, it's all about 
that place we're going to. And when we go there, what are we going to be busy doing? All right, Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. After these things, I looked and behold. And what are after these things? The things he'd already experienced. The revelation of who Jesus is, the churches in chapters 2 and 3, which represent churches throughout the time between Jesus coming the first time and the second time. Okay? After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And he's using uh, language to describe his experience. And if you were going to be transported in a vision to heaven and you got to the pearly gates, you hope those gates are what? Open, right? You don't want those gates locked when you get there, right? So he's looking at it. The door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, and you think that trumpet was soft or was it loud? Probably loud, right? All right, we've talked about loudness already. All right, or volume. Said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And what are after these things? After the churches have been living out their faith to represent me in the world. And after that is over, this is what's next. Now, keep thinking of what I didn't say in the first service and what I'm saying now. One of the reasons, and I'll probably say this multiple times, I believe that the rapture, and there is a rapture, now how it happens, when it happens, people debate, but one of the reasons I believe it happens before Jesus returns and, uh, and the judgment comes on this earth is because part of it was right here. After those things, what's next for God's people? It's, it's up in heaven. Okay? Come up here, and, and in chapters 1 through th- uh, 3, the word church is used 18 times. In chapters 4 through 19, you know how many times the church is used? Zero. Zero times. Well, that seems to indicate something, doesn't it? Okay, it says, uh, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Chapter, uh, verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, if, if I were to write a book on heaven, okay, I probably wouldn't talk about the Holy Spirit being blue, kind of blue in color. I wouldn't be talking about wings I had, whether they fit me or not. I wouldn't, you know, I'm trying to make fun of that book. And the reason I'm making fun of that book is I think that book is just funny, all right? And I've read the book and I saw the movie. And if you liked it, that's fine. But I just don't think that's the picture of heaven that God gives us, right? And, and what we see when we get to heaven, and i got to, transition now to what i want us to to hold on to is when we get to heaven what what will it be like and what will we be doing well when john got there immediately i guess you could put it this way at least i'm putting this he he was just amazed at what he saw now if you got to heaven and you saw what looked like this throne and it was permanent in stature was sitting there and then around it there was this brilliant color like a jasper or probably like a diamond and this this ruby color red was shining forth, and there was this rainbow around it. Uh, wouldn't you be pretty amazed? I mean, you just go, "Whoa! I, I've never experienced something like this. Is this is just this is this is overwhelming." And, and so, as as I try to put this into kind of some takeaway points, is this chapter, which is probably the most in chapters four and chapter five. The most detail we have about heaven, we can draw out some simple truths in the midst of the detail that describes not only what heaven is like, but what we're going to be busy doing. 
Now, what he was busy, it was, it was not something that he had to, to run to do. He was simply being amazed at the beauty of what he saw. Can you imagine a, a diamond and the, the rays of light just kind of reflecting everything? Can you imagine uh, the ruby red just, just exploding, kind of representing the, the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of all that was going on, or the emerald green, that sea of glass surrounding the throne. This, this, was just, this was just, you know, sightseeing at its best. Now, you know, some people, when they think about heaven, they think it's going to be a boring place, right? You're going to get your own cloud, get your harp, some harp lessons, and then pluck away for eternity. Can I just throw this out as simple? I, I think heaven's going to be, uh, among other things, it's going to be one of the... Uh, the it, just think about going sightseeing and doing it for eternity and never seeing anything twice, all right? It, is that, I, I have a friend of mine, he, his, his bucket list, which he started young in life, he wanted to go to 100 nations. He's at 112 now. He's got a lot of frequent flying miles, okay? But why did he do it? Because he wanted to see all that's in this world. He was just fascinated with new experiences. And I think when we get to heaven, the majesty, the glory, the beauty of God will just be overwhelming. And not only him and his personhood, but all that he has made. And it will be like those travel jaunts or journeys maybe some of you have had opportunity to experience. And, you know, think about going to the Grand Canyon for the first time and you, you see that big hole in the ground. And just, I mean, you, you just, you're just filled with a sense of awe at the grandeur of a hole in the ground. Well, think about it, heaven, and seeing the beauty of heaven and the beauty of God. That was, that was his immediate experience as he, as he saw it. And it, again, not that, that, that God is a jasper stone or is a, rain, um, a, a sardius or ruby. It says, and he who was sitting, on the, uh, sitting was like a. And the only thing I can say, he was like that which is filled with more beauty than you can imagine. And, ju and just for free here for a moment. You know, beauty is not only that which you can see, but it's also that which you can, can know. Have you, have you know some people that maybe aren't that good looking on the outside, but boy, they sure look good what? On the inside. And when Jesus was here, it said that his, his countenance, his, I mean, his, his physical presentation was not necessarily beautiful. But you could not be with Jesus and not experience the beauty of who he was. And that's what heaven's going to be like. Seeing true beauty in its fullness. Secondly, and we're just, we're just reading John's experience and his vision being caught up in heaven as the door opens up and he's bid in. Uh, we have this next statement. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And again, now we're seeing, again, we're just seeing things. They're just, uh, have you ever had uh, uh, your senses uh, uh, overwhelmed, you know, or like there's, there's too many smells, there's too many sights, there's too many sounds, there's too, you know, you just like, whoa, this is, I mean, that's what it's experiencing. In the midst of seeing a, a presentation of God, he also sees then 24 elders. 
And we're like, well, who are these 24 elders? You know, some say, well, maybe they're angels. Well, the, the word elder is never used for angels. It's the, it's the Greek word presbyteros. 49 other times it's used. It's, it's reference to people. Okay, so this would be the only time it was ever used for angels. There's probably people. Some try to decide, well, is it the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles? And so you have the, you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some say, no, it really only portrays um, the church because the 24... Uh, the 24 is probably a, a word of com- or a number of completeness, uh, but the reason we think it might be just the church because of the white garments, and the white garments are only used as a word picture of the New Testament church, that Jesus cleanses us as white as snow and cleanses us from all of our sin. Uh, but the emphasis I want to put here, again, we could, we could debate the particulars here, and I have my opinions on all these things, but the issue, issue here is what you have in heaven are God's people. And God's people are part of the reason we want to go to heaven. Because not only will we experience God in his fullness, we'll experience people in the fullness of how God wants us to have relationships with each other. Or to put it this way, when we get to heaven, not only will we be amazed at the beauty of God, when we get to heaven, we'll enjoy time with the friends of God. I told you the word for elder, it's presbyteros. I was reading this little story about this girl who was in a, in a Sunday school class, and um, the mother, when they got home, said, well, what you, would you learn in Sunday school? I said, well, they were talking about heaven. Oh, well, what would you learn about heaven? Well, the, the teacher said there's only going to be uh, 24 Presbyterians in heaven. <laughs> well, how many Baptists? Just one, John, John the Baptist. No, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not talking about Presbyterians here. It's talking about, you know, the leaders of, God, of the church or the leaders of God's people. But, you know, when you think about it, the, what, what brings you probably the most joy in life? You know, there, I, you know I like to do things. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an active type person. But no matter what kind of activity I'm involved in, you know, what brings me more joy than anything else are people. And heaven's going to be a place where we're going to enjoy the people of God. And I, I, was, I was throwing this out on, in the first service, is that, you know, people can be the greatest source of joy, but they can also be the greatest source of, you know, pain, right? Let's just be honest. But when, when we get to heaven, in fact, some people, some, some people who, who go on trips with me, they enjoy the trips, but after a while they, they feel like they got worn out. I mean, they can, you know, they can only take so much of me, you know. The longer they're with me, they begin to, whew, I don't know how Alice endures it, you know is that all the things in, in our lives that kind of irritate people, that's going to change. You know, and, and so you'll be able to live with me forever because those things that irritate you are going to be gone. <laughs> now, on the other side of it, too, those things that irritate me with you are going to be gone, too. Right? You know, it's, it's going to be, we're going to enjoy the people of God. Our lives will be pure before him. Quickly. What will we be doing in heaven? We'll be busy being amazed by the beauty of God. We'll be busy enjoying time with the friends of God. We'll, we'll be busy seeing and hearing the power of God. We'll just observe this. I'll just make an observation. Verse 5. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of the burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And again, we could try to debrief each one of those. Uh, the, 
the whole Godhead is involved here. Probably God the Father is on the throne. We have the Spirit, the Spirit of God, proclaiming the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of this, it's a sensory experience. It's not just what, what, what John saw, it's what he heard. And probably, you know, when you think about thunder, you know, a lot of times when you hear thunder, you shudder, right? Because it's just, when it just, that, that crackling, powerful sound. And when we're in heaven, we will, we will always experience not only the intimacy of God, but the power of God. And probably this speaks about the judgment it is to come as well. So when we get to heaven, we'll be amazed by the beauty of God, enjoy time with the friends of God. We'll see and hear the power of God. Verses 6 or 8. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And, and you're, again, can you imagine John being He had never seen anything like this before. He had probably read in Isaiah something similar to that, and I have in your outline this morning. But, I mean, again, you, you can read about it, but you still can't visualize that. I mean, these are creatures unlike any other creatures. You, do you like to go to, muse, uh, not museums, do you like to go to zoos? You know, and there, we, you know, obviously we have a great zoo down here in San Diego Zoo, and you go to ver- various countries, they'll have their kind of their native animals there, and it's amazing some of the things God has created, and you go, wow, God is, is a creative creator, Right? But I've never seen anything like that, right? And let me just, because of time, let me just <clears throat> make this very simple statement. When we get to heaven, not only will we see things that we can maybe imagine or think about, we're going to see things we couldn't even imagine. I would never imagine this. But what it is, it's, it's experiencing the incredible angelic realm of God. We sang about it earlier this morning, the seraphim and the cherubim. It's like that, that group of angelic created messenger beings that surrounded the throne of God in Isaiah's time. And, and the wings are everywhere. And they, they kind of picture something. The wings are their eyes because even the angelic realm cannot see the glory of God without shading because of how, how magnificent he is. And when the wings covered the, the feet, it, it, it talked about... If you're before the throne of, of God, what, what kind of ground is before the throne of God? Holy ground. And so they protected their feet. And, and so as you see the picture of these angelic beings, and again, they're, 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 they're metaphors or they're, they're symbols of, of what God has made so that we might see the majesty and the otherness of God. And you see in the, in the lion a, a picture of the reign of God and the kingship of God, even as he's delegated to angelic realm. As he pictures one of the four living creatures as an ox or a calf with the face of a beast of burden, that, that God portrays the angelic beings as being servants of his and, 
And even when Jesus was here, he, Jesus came not to, to be served, but to what? To serve. And then you see one of the creatures having the, the picture of a, of a man's face. And in the midst of all that God has made, uh, man uniquely has the ability to think and to process and have great thoughts and intelligence. And, of course, God manifests that in its most manifest way, in the angelic realm as well. And then the eagle that flies over everything that God has made. It's, it's God's sovereign ruling plan. And, and so when we get to heaven, it, it's not, it's not going to be a boring place. We're going to see the beauty of God. We're, we're, we're going to enjoy the time with the friends of God. We'll, we'll sensory experience through sound, the power of God. And then somehow we'll experience the angelic realm of God, which is so unlike us. And then finally, without examining any detail, we will participate in the enthusiastic worship of God. We've already read how the angels will worship, but the, the elders representing God's people as well. And, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will, will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. So in the midst of all that we experience in heaven, we'll be, again, just passionately involved and giving praise and honor to our great and awesome God. But, but can I just throw this in? I guess I can because I'm up here, right? But anyway, is, is that sometimes when we think about that, we think it's just going to be a one long extended musical service, right? Are we just going to be singing the entire time we're up in heaven? Now, I think there's going to be vocal praise and instrumental praise of God, but Giving honor and glory and praise to God or worship is not simply music. It's everything about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the what of God? Glory of God. So, so it's, it, part of that is realizing it's our activity in heaven gives Him praise and glory. When we do God's will, that gives Him praise and glory. When we're obedient to Him, that gives Him praise and glory. When, when we live out His divine plan for our lives, that gives Him honor and glory. And when we give Him all the credit, that gives Him praise. When, when God first created us, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapters you know, 1, 2, and 3, uh, particularly 1 and 2, uh, God, God gave mankind responsibilities. He gave them dominion over all the earth. And he created him for that. And, and when we do that which we're created for, then that is worship and praise and glory and honor to God. And so I really believe when we get to heaven that however we're uniquely made, we'll be doing that in some capacity in heaven. Now, now how many letters are in the word work? Four letters. Now, Sometimes four-letter words, they've got kind of, what, a bad connotation, right? Oh, man, watch out for those four-letter words. Well, you know, work is a four-letter word. But when we get to heaven, 
well, he's not going to change the spelling of it, but you know, work won't be a four-letter word anymore. It'll be, a, it'll be a word describing how we are doing that what God wants us to do, and we'll experience the greatest joy in heaven doing that. Now, there's some things right now that you do that you enjoy doing that to me would be maddening, right? I, I just, you know, I can't imagine going through my entire life doing what some of you people do for fun, right? On the same side, you might say some of the things I do for fun, you say, I would never want to do that. And some of those things are what you do for work. You know, you find, find a job you like and you'll never work a day in your life. You ever heard that? That's how it's going to be in heaven. Is God will give us a job to do that we like, and we'll feel like we're never working in a day in our life, and all that we do will give glory and honor to God. So, so heaven's going to be an active place. It won't be passive. I mean, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to be ruling over angels. So we got things to do. That we're going to be having thrones in which we'll, we'll, we'll give dominion over this world. And so, so heaven is a place that, that we, can, we can so desperately look forward to. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and die is gain, because heaven's going to be so much better than here. This isn't the, the best day of your life. That best day of your life is happening in the future. I, I close with this. I, I heard an interesting story about this family in uh, Great Britain, and the, the husband, the, the father of the home, uh, got elected to parliament, and so he moved his family to London, and and when he got to London, uh, he decided they'd do some sightseeing before they started all what they had to do. And, and so he, he took the family to Westminster Abbey and had a little girl, and she walked in the room and just like getting to heaven. She was just amazed by that, that building that has lasted the test of time in so many different ways. And you could see she was struck by her experience. And so the, the dad, the father said, uh, tell me what you're thinking right at this moment. And so she turned to her father and says, well... Dad, you know, when we're at home, you look so big. When we're in here, you look so small. <laughs> and see, that's how it'll be in heaven. You know, we, we will be so overwhelmed by God's immense beauty and power and glory that those things that bother us so much here on earth will just be a distant memory. In fact, we probably won't even remember it at all because God is so big. And we're so small. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people looking forward to what you've told us will be in the future for those who know and love you. And Father, I pray that there's no one here this morning that, that is unsure about their eternal destiny. Father, for the first thing to get right in this life is to get right about Jesus. To have him as Lord and Savior and the forgiver of our sins. And Father, when that's settled, then we can, we can know ultimately what happens next. We'll be in the presence of the God who's created a special place for his people to live out how you've intended us to live. Help us to look forward to that day. And we pray this in Christ's name. All God's people said, amen. Let's well, stand as we sing this morning. And